everybody. I am Andy Little. I am your EM Over Easy host for this special Med Student Over Easy segment talking about the virtual size up. But before we deep dive into this topic, let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. All right. So I am Katie Holmes and I am the APD and clerkship director at Fort Worth EM here in Texas. Happy to be here. I'm Autumn Bass. I am currently an intern at USF down in Tampa. Also happy to be here. Hey everyone, my name is Carlos Jaquez. I am an intern from Fort Worth EM. Excited to talk about this. So why are we talking about virtual size-ups? This was not a thing when I applied to residency, when Katie applied to residency. Everything was in person. If you wanted to learn about a program, you went to a fair, you went and saw them in person, you interviewed in person. But since the pandemic started in 2020, we have had this hybrid at best, but mostly virtual recruitment season. So I think it's important we talk about this virtual size-up. And, and I'll start by saying that as someone in program leadership, this has been difficult for programs to do. Katie, I don't know about you at your shop, but that's how we felt here in Central Florida. I don't know about your program, but we handled it uh, flawlessly without anything <laughs> whatsoever. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I like this topic because even though it seems like we've all become Zoom experts over the last two years, I think there's always room to grow and learn from how we could be doing it better. And so just starting off, my question to the interns is, Going into this really stressful opportunity of interviews, now they're virtual, what programs do I pick? What are my priorities? What am I learning about these programs? How am I learning about these programs? I kind of want to hear your story on how you approach that. So that's actually interesting because I think it started actually before interview season really started with auditions. There's this concept of a virtual audition and we didn't know if they were valid or if we should do them are they are they something that actually we can get a version of a slow from and then there was also numbers placed on slows so did they actually count especially if you were at a place where they didn't let you do additional auditions so the whole virtual concept was one of those you kind of just go with the flow and you figure out what's out there and you just start to look And I think the first place we all went to was probably social media because that's the quickest thing that we have at our fingertips to find out fast information. And I honestly, I think that's the the first thing everybody went to was just to try and see what all the programs were doing. And then we went from there. So when you say social media, right off the top of your head, what is the number one platform that you feel was the best? Instagram. Okay. Interesting, because as uh, program leadership, I put a lot of weight on Twitter. Oh, that was also a heavy hitter, especially for updates. Like when they were doing the numbers or the cord updates, I actually made a Twitter just for COVID-19 interviews. I think that's actually smart to create almost just a professional account. And I advise all my residents to do that too. Even if you have a fun party time Twitter, just delete that one or put it to rest, please. And then create just a professional one. It's really about networking and keeping in touch and learning about opportunities out there. So what did you use, Carlos? After hearing Autumn's response, I feel a little old maybe (laughs) because I did not do that. I think I really relied on mentors that I had developed relationships with during medical school, people who had been around the block and were able to, that had known me for a while as well. So they were able to tell me about 
programs to consider, especially programs for my specific application. I was kind of late to the EM game. So a lot of programs were very unfamiliar to me and I had a lot of learning to do. This isn't something that I had been thinking of for years. And then after that, I really just found a program's websites and I just scoured through them. I went through every single little page and tried to find information that would give me an idea of what it was like to be part of that program. And then throughout the season, I also spoke with residents from those programs. I actually had a couple of residents I spoke with at one that I just talked to them about LGBTQ plus life in the area and what their experiences were. And their uh, program leadership was very nice to even introduce me to all those people. So I feel like I really tried to uh, network with people to try and get that information. And I didn't really trust social media, honestly. So going off of the website, I think everybody scours those websites. The reason that probably was the second layer for me, because I found that with the interview invites, they would actually send you a different website than what the institution was actually using because it takes them so long to edit that true homepage. The ghost sites. The ghost sites. So the websites were absolutely pivotal, especially the updated ones, because it really could tell you more updated information than the ones I was finding on online when I was just trying to figure out where I was even going to apply. I think the reason I anchored on Instagram so much was more or less for the socials and just getting a feel for the dates of things. So the dates that they would host these virtual socials or open houses to do exactly what Carlos is saying, try and get a feel for like the day-to-day life. But really, I mean, this is case in point. Everybody had such a variety or a varied way of trying to figure out as much information as they could. Everybody just reached out to every person or plug or any kind of thought they had just to find information at that time. So I love that you bring up both platforms. I'll be honest, our program probably missed out on good applicants because, frankly, we assumed Twitter was where the business should be done. We did have an Instagram account. We posted pictures of our residents, did some resident highlights, but we didn't leverage Instagram to gather applicants. It was more to kind of say, hey, we're here. So I think we did miss out on applicants just by using Twitter as our main focus. Katie, how do you think it went for you guys? Well, I I think it's hard because what you forget is that EM programs out there, we are not equipped with budget for social media professionalism to the extent that we would have liked instantaneously. So it was literally me after like three 12 hour shifts and going to conference, just trying to kind of put some stuff out there. I have learned a lot working in collaboration with the communications department at our hospital. And you just, you learn from that. With that being said, oh, sorry. (laughs) No, I just wanted to share our experience here in Central Florida where my PD and I sat down, we made a social media plan, we sat down with our DIO, got what we thought was approved from GME to get started. We started Twitter, Instagram, things were being progressive, we were having our virtual hangouts, and halfway through recruitment season, our communications department found our pages, and we had to delete them because it wasn't consistent messaging with the system. So know that when you look at at a program, do they have those? It might not be within their power to have them because of their hospital. 
And it makes sense because you have to have the unified message, I think. And and that's what we forgot about is that they put a lot of work and professionalism behind it. And we were just kind of winging it with fun posts and ideas. And so there definitely is a system in place for a reason. I will say that the concern, like I understand all of that, but I get concerned that then too much of these programs posts became super generic because when you are coming from a large academic institution or health system, generally they're very politically correct things to the point where it's just, like I said, it's generic. And so you lose out on that personal piece, the part that they keep telling students during the application process that, hey, you're going to feel when the energy is there, you're going to feel where you fit in. And so there would be concern, like I had no clue that institutions would be having to go through so much of a filter to be able to do that. So I understand it, but I also get a little concerned that it really limits applicants from being able to get a true feel of which the personality of every program and the culture. With that all being said, I think social media is great to kind of get some ideas of what the resident culture looks like, knowing full well that there are a lot of limitations on what's outside of that generic kind of post. But you have to kind of look at this in two different ways. One is what is the curriculum at that program? What kind of learning environment do they have? What kind of affiliation with other universities or other programs do they have? Just the real objective things that can be variable. So if the website seems like it's an institutional website and seems dated, then I love the idea of hustling and getting connected with someone who's in academic leadership. And that's what those professional Twitter accounts are really nice for is because I had medical students who didn't even do one of those virtual auditions with me or email me. They found me and DM'd me on Twitter. And that was how I connected them to this is really what our program does for our residents. And then making sure that our residents are always making themselves available with their information if med students have questions. That being said, if you want more of the real life uh, of a resident at our program, then I think you just have to get connected with residents and you have to just talk to them about what the pros and cons are of living in that city, working at that hospital, going through the three to four years at that program. So we've talked about how we've been able to leverage social media, program websites, emails, phone calls really various ways on how you could use virtual to find information about programs to make good decisions. I wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about what were some of the benefits of virtual recruitment when you look at how you were able to maybe change the way you approached looking into EM. So I'll say, and I think that this was a very common theme amongst a lot of people, including programs and overarching organizations was just this sigh of relief that I got with not having to be concerned about spending thousands of dollars on my credit card for hotels and rental cars and flights. Sometimes you were given very, very little notice before you had an interview. And so your flight could really be an insane amount depending on where you're trying to get to. So that was nice because I even remember hearing about more senior medical students when I was younger that were talking about how they would strategically have to schedule their 
interviews in certain regions. So that way it was cheaper to travel. It just sounded incredibly and unbelievably stressful to me. And the likelihood that you would be able to do it all just really did not seem. So that was the biggest pro to all of it was just being able to breathe a little bit easier that you weren't going to just living in debt for months and months on end, even in addition to whatever debt you already have. Yeah, I would 100% agree. It was the financial benefit, I think, was the hugest benefit to us. I remember starting, I think somebody gave me an advice to get a, a travel credit card and just start using it in med school so you can save up points. I had all these points that I had actually accumulated that I was able to use in other ways. I love that you touch on that because a lot of money does get spent on recruitment. And I think one thing that maybe goes undervalued from a program standpoint is, is that we were able to look at applicants that we probably wouldn't have looked at prior to in-person because we didn't have to factor in their travel. So if you look at the net that we were able to cast from a program standpoint of applicants, it was a larger pool of people we could reach out to to try to interview with us and interact with us probably than before. I agree. It was a lot more work and time for the academic leadership, but there was definitely benefits to just having a a wider net of applicants that I think might have had some moments where they're like, wow, we really like what your program has to offer. I I had no idea about you until today. (laughs) I loved the transparency, honestly. Yeah, one thing we noticed when we did our virtual fairs, again, we were used to the in-person fairs where the logistics of location probably would have excluded people from coming and talking to us, whether it was at ASAP, SAEM, or AAEM, or because we were virtual, we again were able to interact with people who were not on our radar. And I imagine people thought maybe Central Florida or Florida is a place I'm willing to consider because now I can look virtually and I don't have to put all of my resources into someplace that has a specific location. Yeah, that's how I found out about a lot of programs as well was those virtual conferences or showcases. I loved those and I don't think I would have necessarily gone to them if they were in person. Again, cost prohibitive. But I will say another pro to all of this that was interesting to see was just to be able to evaluate these programs to see how creative they could be and innovative in such a time that is really unprecedented that none of us have experienced before. And so I think it allowed programs to really walk the talk when they talk about being able to deal with issues on the fly and take feedback from their residents or other different sources, you definitely saw a difference in the overall interactions you had with the program. And some of them were definitely a lot better than others. So piggying back off of that, what would you say when y'all were med students were kind of red flags that y'all noticed some programs having with their approach to virtual recruitment and interviews? I think a lot of mine were during the interview. It was kind of like how the interview went as far as hours. And the biggest issue that I would see that would really kind of make me rank program lower was the courtesy of time, if that makes sense. So I had an interview anywhere from three hours to eight hours. And the eight hour one didn't come with a lunch, no like designated bathroom breaks, no breaks to get water. So it was more or less that it was, was courtesy built into the interview day if it was going over lunch, 
Would you make your applicants watch a room full of their residents eat pizza while they didn't give you time to go get food after you've already been there for four hours? It was more of like the courtesy of the interview was the biggest red flag I saw. So if you're listening to our program, that is a jerk level move and not something I would recommend doing in the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard to sit in a chair for eight hours and not use the bathroom or eat and be happy about it. And the Zoom fatigue with that was real. I mean, I guess it varies on the person, obviously. But for me, I'm definitely much more extroverted. I find Zoom to be very fatiguing. And so when I had multiple interviews that were hours and hours long, by the end of it, I was just so done. And it didn't really matter how good the program was. I was just exhausted. And one of the red flags that I got from a lot of programs was they would give us time to socialize with the residents. But a lot of times it never really ended up being a social thing. It ended up being basically a Q&A panel. And you felt pressured to come up with additional questions on top of all the questions that you had already asked during your interviews to show that you were well knowledgeable and that you were interested. And it really wasn't social. And you, like I said, like I talked about earlier, being able to feel out the culture, you didn't really get that. Sometimes it was just really nice to see the residents making fun of one another in the room and having a good time and being able to jump in it here and there. Because then it gave you a sense of like, hey, do I actually fit in there? But then what I talked about at the beginning of this episode was big red flags for me were if I couldn't find any kind of web presence for a program to get additional information, that was huge because then I didn't really know whether or not it was worth my time and money, which both of which were limited at that time to, you know, go ahead and pursue that, whether that be social media or their website. And there were certain things that I was definitely looking for, especially given the climate that we were in, whether it be the pandemic or a lot of the social issues that were coming to rise during that time. If programs didn't have that addressed in some way, shape or form, I was very much turned off and sometimes would just completely cross them off my list. Our biggest craving when we're looking for a program is to see the day-to-day interaction. It's really like the resident life, the resident leadership interaction and the vibe. And if you can fit in there and virtually that's really hard to manifest or bring across. And I think the biggest thing people knew to do was make a Q&A session. And in reality, if we just kind of sat there and were able to have a conversation and the residents were jovial with one another, that was the biggest plus, 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 plus. Or the residents had a cool game for you to play with them. That was also fun. Yes. All that's actually great feedback because we were desperate for ideas because you would hear how some things seemed great, some things didn't, and you would try to adapt. And then also we had to think about the residents that were willing to volunteer their time to do these recruitment virtual sessions and they were fatigued by working hard and then still volunteering their time and wanting to put on a good representation of their program. And so a lot of times we're like, is it okay, Dr. Holmes, if I just kind of just talk to them? And I'm like, yeah, just talk. Just and and I think that that was the best feedback we got was just having an opportunity to see our residents joke around with each other and We tried to make it a little bit more fun this past year because we had some less restrictions 
where we could have our residents maybe in one room together, kind of uh, hanging out and then be on a group Zoom with a bunch of other applicants. We just didn't want any applicant to feel like they didn't get an opportunity to ask a question or to shine. Yeah, just on the topic of games, in case you need an idea, there was this one really fun one where it was like a hide and go seek type deal beforehand where they sent out a list and and there was for prizes too. They would just mail you the Starbucks gift card or something, but you had to find these random objects and then you had to talk about them and whoever won each category got this this like gift card. Best virtual I ever went to because it was so much interaction. All right. I'm taking notes for next time. Yeah. So what you're saying is that your favorite spirit animal is not as engaging. (laughs) Although I do have one of those because that was a good question that I got. I do like that. Yeah. All of those fun questions, they are fun. However you can kind of get people talking is going to be good. As we try to wrap up, I do want to kind of touch on some other red flags that you noticed in virtual recruitment. So what were those red flags and when did they happen? I think Autumn touched a little bit on it earlier, but talked about how, you know, some of these Zoom days were really long and you were expected to be very active, present, engaged. Obviously, you have your best face forward on and you're wanting to do that and it's exciting, but it's obviously stressful too. All of us have been in that that interview seat and you're just like sweating profusely underneath your jacket. So you would do all your best. Like all of us were playing with different types of lighting, different types of elevation of our computers to make sure that it looked the most genuine. So it didn't look so digital and you were trying to like be eye level with your interviewee or your interviewer. So the biggest red flag that I had actually was when that effort was not reciprocated. I had an interviewer that left the screen three different times during my interview. And I was just kind of flabbergasted. Like the first time I was, okay, you know what? Life happens. We're all at home. You can't control the dog or you can't control a toddler running through the room. Like I think that all of us can give each other some grace there. But when it became a pattern of multiply of, coming like leaving not even saying anything just leaving i was thinking to myself if i were to do that i would be eliminated from this list immediately they would put that in their comments and it would be done for but for some reason it was okay for that to happen on the other side and that did not feel great i think that's the biggest red flag in terms of virtual things that i experienced during uh, my interview season Overall, though, I do think it says something that we have very like specific one-time incidents out of all of our interviews, though, and all of our virtual experiences that stick on our mind. It's not like we have a laundry list. I think for the most part, EM did a really great job of trying to accommodate because that is what we do. We're flexible and fluid people, or at least that's what we are supposed to be. So I think they did a great job. It was It's really... It made it to where if something did happen, it was very much like a blatant, oh, this is not right. So I think overall, we did a great job. 
Oh, yeah. And not to say back in my day, but back in my day, (laughs) I mean, these things would happen then, too. You would just have these very blatant red flags on an interview in person. And you're like, well, thank you for declaring yourself and I will see you never. So you just consider it a blessing that all of a sudden you find some that you're really connecting with and some that you're not. And that's why it's always best to lead with being authentic who you are. And if it's a little awkward, embrace it. I certainly do. (laughs) And I think that's just being real that we are being flexible with the times and making the best of it. Because we're just as excited to impress you as you are excited to impress us as a program. So plus, you've already earned the interview. So I mean, that's that's a win. We, I remember starting every virtual session with kind of that, the you are smart, you are important, but the you deserve to be here. We wouldn't have invited you if we didn't want you. And so as you do the virtual recruitment, if you're listening as a medical student, remember, if a program invites you to an interview, it's because they think you are capable of being at that program. Well, Katie, Autumn, and Carlos, we appreciate you all hopping on to help us tease out some of the finer points of the virtual size up. If you are a medical student and want to get more from EM Over Easy, please head on over to the blog at emovereasy.com or follow us on one of your favorite social media sites, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. And we look forward to you being a part of another Med Student Over Easy conversation. And until next time. Well, thanks for listening all the way to the end of that Med Student Over Easy podcast. Don't forget, we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians, or the ACOP for short. Head on over to ACOP.org today to learn more about this great organization and about the upcoming Scientific Assembly, where you can hear three live EM Over Easy shows from guests and your favorite hosts, as well as attend great lectures that are designed for both medical students, residents, and attending physicians. Until next time, thanks so much. Thank you.